Welcome to Daily Drive Time Devotions. This is day two of our look together through John chapter six. Yesterday, we began our look at this great miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, and we learned lesson one in this miracle, the lesson of the yardstick. Am I measuring life by my abilities or by God's will, by God's abilities? If I measure by my abilities, I'm never going to try to do anything more than my abilities and probably a little less. But if I measure my life by God's will, by his direction, I'm going to have the strength to attempt great things for God, knowing that I couldn't do them on my own, but he will give me the strength. That's the lesson of, I called it yesterday, the lesson of the yardstick. Today, we're going to take a look at a different lesson. I call it the lesson of the scales, the weights and scales. And you begin to learn this lesson in John chapter 6, verses 8 and 9. Another of his disciples, these verses say, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Lesson two that Jesus is teaching is the scales, the weights and measures lesson, and it is this, little in the hands of Jesus becomes much. You may have heard that before. It's worth hearing again. Little in the hands of Jesus becomes much. I want you to notice there's two perspectives here in the same wrong answer. Philip looks at the situation and he says, it's impossible. It would take too much. We don't have the resources. Andrew looks at it from the other side and says, it's impossible. We have too little. We can't do it. Truth is, just because you look at a problem from all the different human angles, the positive, the negative, the plus, the minus, that doesn't mean you figured it out. Philip was looking at the crowd and not Christ. Andrew was looking at the few loaves and not the Lord. They still had the same problem. They weren't looking at the Lord. Uh, Andrew's comment is, uh, is one of those telling comments in the Bible, and I relate to it so much because he just goes one sentence too far. You ever done this in your life? He comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two fish. What if he just stopped there? It would have been one of the great heroic moments of faith in the Bible. Andrew had enough faith to believe that Jesus could feed the 5,000. But instead, he just goes one phrase more and he says, but... How far can they go among so many? He brings the resources, but he says to Jesus, it's still impossible even with this. Sometimes we outthink ourselves when it comes to faith. I certainly do. I see, well, God could do this, but, and then you add on why he can't. And then, of course, he doesn't because you've determined that he won't. But the one thing that Andrew did do right, the one thing that I can do right, even all my doubts, my ups and downs, is he brought the boy to Jesus. If I'll bring my problem, my impossible situation, my few resources to Jesus, then he can meet the need. Philip looked at it and said it would take too much, but no need is too great for Jesus. Andrew looked at it and said we have too little, but little in the hands of Jesus becomes much. And when I look at my life, when you look at your life, I'd encourage you to ask yourself, what have I decided is too big for God to accomplish in my life? There's nothing too big for God to accomplish. Or ask yourself, what have I decided is too little for God to work with? That's the one that gets a lot of us. We often look at life and say, there's just not enough. We say, when I get more and you fill in the blank, then I'm going to, and you fill in that blank. When I get more time, then I'm going to get involved in ministry. When I get more energy, then I'm going to really play with my kids. When I get more support, then I'm going to be a better husband, better wife. When I get more money, then I'm going to really give to the Lord. I have a little secret for you. It's probably not secret at all. You've already discovered it. You'll never have enough. The needs are too great and our resources are too small. That's why you have to start with what you have and trust in him. 
It's interesting. This miracle that Jesus works shows us the biblical pattern for how God takes our little and makes it into his much. It's the same pattern in the Old Testament of Gideon defeating the Midianites with an army of only 300, or David defeating Goliath with just a slingshot. How does God take our little and magnify it, use it for his much? Well, there are four things in this pattern. First, God magnifies our need, then he reduces our resources, and then someone trusts God with what little they have, and then God uses that little to show how great he is. Here's how it works. First, God magnifies the need. He shows us there's something here that I cannot possibly accomplish on my own ability. There are 5,000 people to be fed. This is impossible. Now, sometimes we fool ourselves. We think the need isn't as great as it is. But in God's way of working, he shows us how great the need is. He magnifies it. He lets us know this is impossible with human strength. He starts by magnifying the need, not denying the need, magnifying it. And then God reduces our resources. Just a little boy, just a few loaves, just a few fish. Or with Gideon, it was just a few people in his army. God actually reduced his army down to 300. With David, it was uh, just a slingshot. He, He realized he couldn't wear Saul's armor. There was no human way to do this. He reduces our resources so that we can't make the mistake of thinking that it was our power and not his power. And then comes the crucial moment. The third thing in this pattern, someone trusts God with what little they have. Now, in this case, it was a little boy. He handed his lunch over to Jesus. Sounds like that meant he wouldn't have had a lunch. He'd had no trust, but he gave it to Jesus. He trusted him with what little he had. Now, I wish we knew his name. I think in heaven we'll get to meet him and know his name. We don't know it now. And the truth is, God often works like this. You see it all through the Bible, nameless people, untold stories, but great glory that goes to God. And then the fourth thing happens. And I love this. Then God uses the little that we have to show how great he is. He doesn't discard what we give him and say, now I'm going to do something greater. Jesus didn't say to the little boy, I'm going to throw away your loaves and fish. Look what I can do. No, he took what little the boy gave him and he used that to do something greater. He did it in a way that everybody knew it wasn't the boy's loaves and fish. It was Jesus. But he also did it in a way that everybody knew that the fact the boy trusted him with those loaves and fish made all the difference in the world. I have a friend with me today for Drive Time Devotions. Pastor Joel Senegogo from Rwanda is here. And uh, the telling thing to me as I'm walking together, he's listening to what I'm teaching today, teaching on this miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, is that here I am, a pastor in Orange County, California, where we seem to have a lot materially. And sometimes we trust so much in what we have that we don't do great things for God. And my friend Joel is in Rwanda, where oftentimes they look and it is evident that they have few things materially. And yet, Joel, I just want to ask you, in a country, in a situation where everyone realizes that the needs are not all met, the resources are not all there, how have you, how has your church learned to trust God even when there's a a lack of resources? Uh, A very hard question, but a good one. God will always use the little that you have, just like you have been uh, saying in this talk. Uh, it has always astonished me that um, in the short experience of our church, two years, we have seen great things happen, things coming right on the time they are needed. And it's amazing, you know, it's actually, you realize at the end of it all that it is needless to worry because the Lord is in control. 
and it has taught us lessons of dependence on, on God and very daring in faith, not fearing to take on giants because, you know, he has always done it and he will show up today. He has made a whole world of difference and has really, you know, some of these things have transformed my life. He never fails to show up. Never fails to show up. Joel, I'd like to ask you a uh, question about this story of the feeding of the 5,000. Yeah. When, um, when you look at your country, Rwanda, mm-hmm. and you realize there are many hungry people, how do people in your country, Christians, uh, take this story and apply it to their lives in a way that gives them faith? In a situation where it feels like, God, we're, we're even hungry, we don't have enough to eat. Well, if you would like me to cite an example, Tom, I would. And uh, I have two stories. Um, one of the stories is a guy, he came to our church, and he had been a Christian before, but, you know, fed into a scene with a, a young girl, and after that decided to remain with her as a, as, as a wife. But unofficially, they never had any weddings or never been married in church. And these guys, after that, they are both domestic servants in different homes, and they were sent away. And there was this house that was under construction. And the guy that kept the security of the house, because the owner had not uh, come to use it, this was a house with no glasses, no glass shutters, no floor, and he offered to give them accommodation as a couple. They started living in this house, and they visited our church when they are in that kind of state. Little did I know that the wife was pregnant. They come and, you know, they confess to the, to the church and received Christ or recommitted their lives because both had been Christians. Then they later told me they were married. They, they never, after falling into sin, they never, you know, each one didn't go their way. They stuck together as, as wife and husband. And now it approaches the time of having a baby. And the guy is in a dilemma. He doesn't earn even a coin at the end of the day or end of the month, they are starving. Now, I'll give you one hour, go and pray and think, come back telling me what you can do, and I'll help you do it. He came back later and told me, you might know, you know, some stuff. It's, uh, we, we bake back home in Kigari or in that region like Kenya or Uganda, you'll find the things they call chapatis or uh, samosas, and yeah. he comes and tells me, I know how to make samosas, and I know how to make chapatis. I said, go, come back to me tomorrow, telling me that you have got someone to buy them. And he went, and he went to this uh, grocery shop, and they were ready to take an order on a daily basis, 120 chapatis, 160 samosas. I said, if you told me you know how to do this, go back, pick a pen and a paper, Write for me the ingredients that will do that and amount to the, to, the, to the quantity that is required, that is equivalent to your order. He went, did exactly what I asked him, lined them up, asked him to do the, the arithmetics. Yes. How much will it cost? How much will he sell it at? What will be your profits? And I realized, Tom, that this guy had the potential to earn a profit of 3,100 francs per day. Yes. Profits. He just wasn't utilizing his He just his didn't. Gifts. He just was not using it. And because I was hard on him, I awakened his mind to think and be sober. There is something in his hands that he could use. 
there was a skill in his hands. And it's amazing. He started with one shop supplying one grocery store. Today, he has uh, bought a bicycle. Now, bicycles back home are not used for sports. <laughs> it's for business. <laughs> and it has a carrier, and he puts three buckets, two buckets on in the sides and one bucket on top to supply on a daily basis. Two months after the... Uh, Two months after he started this business, the owner of the house finished his house. He did the floor, put the shutters, and sent them out. They had already had a baby. Yes, and they would have had no place to go. No place to go. But now he was in position to rent a house hmm. for his family. Joel, thank you for sharing uh, how your country, how you look at this scripture and how it impacts your hearts and lives. God magnifies our need. He reduces our resources. Someone trusts God with what little they have. I'm sure you'd agree that's the crucial moment, trusting God. And then God uses the little that we have to show how great he is. And so look what happens. John 6, 10 to 11. Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. Can you imagine? Just imagine with me. I'm not sure this is how it was, but how the disciples felt, what was happening during Jesus' prayer. He had them sit down, he gave thanks, and then he distributed it. What were they thinking while he was praying? There are 5,000 men there. It says 5,000 men because they counted the men in that day in a crowd. 5,000 men, that meant there were probably at least 5,000 women and 5,000 children, at least 15,000 probably there that day. And Jesus is praying. I can just imagine Matthew peeking out as this is going on as a former tax collector counting one, two, three, four, five. Could this ever happen? Philip shaking his head during this prayer. This will never happen. Peter just biting his lip, hoping somehow that it could happen. And it did happen because Jesus was there and he decided for it to happen. And so the Bible says in verses 12 and 13, when they had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and they filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. In verse 7, we saw Philip calculated to just give each one a bite how much it would take. And here, each one had as much as they wanted and there were 12 baskets left over. The lesson of the loaves is so simple. You begin with what you have. You give it to Jesus Christ, and then you let him do the rest. Now, some people get caught up in why there were 12 baskets left over. There's a number of reasons possibly why. There were 12 tribes of Israel, and Jesus was teaching something here about how he came to bring the promise as the Messiah to Israel. But there were also, and I think this is the more important thing that happened that day, there were also 12 object lessons here for the 12 disciples, a basket for each of them. Each of them, as they gathered, went out, each of their baskets were full, 12 baskets. Remember that these disciples sometimes had to glean from the fields in order to have enough to eat. They didn't have jobs while they followed Jesus. They depended on what they had earned before. And so this bread could feed them for the next few days. It was an object lesson for them. They could trust Jesus Christ. In verses 14 and 15, the Bible says, after the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who's come into the world. And Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, 
withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Now, it's interesting here to me that the people's reactions make it clear that this was a true miracle. There are some people who say there was no miracle that happened that day, that because the boy shared his lunch and Jesus began to share it with others, others shared their lunch, and it was just a sharing thing that everybody was fed. Well, if that's how it happened, why did they want to make him king? Why did they call him a prophet? It was only because there was a miracle that happened that day. But the people's reaction also shows us, it makes it clear how easy it is to miss the lessons in a miracle. These people did not learn the lesson. They wanted to make him king. And their idea of king was a political leader who would make their lives on earth better. Who would get rid of the Roman government. A political king who would make their lives on earth better. Not a savior who would prepare their hearts and lives for God and eternity. They had a short-sighted view of what God wanted to do in their lives. And we all have that at times. We have to admit it. When we see God do great things, we need to look for him to do greater things, not just to meet the little needs. In fact, we're going to see in the next few days that even the disciples of Jesus didn't learn the lesson. They still lived in fear. They still had questions and struggles. And so I want to get the lesson. I want you to get the lesson. Here's the lesson. You begin with what you have. You give it all to Jesus Christ, and you let him do the rest. Let's talk to him right now. And as we pray, I encourage you to pray, Jesus, help me to trust you with what I have. Help me to trust you with what I have. Instead of holding back what I have because it doesn't seem to be enough, help me to trust you with what I have. Instead of holding back what I have because I'm afraid to give it, help me to trust you with what I have. And Jesus, instead of complaining about what I don't have, because there are many things I don't have, help me today to trust you with what I do have. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, tomorrow, we're going to see what Jesus had to teach his followers in verses 15 to 21.